0: You're listening to the Lawless podcast. Hey, you guys, it's Lauren here. Welcome back to another episode of Allow List. This is another rewind episode as we gear up for season four. We're super excited to share some of the old episodes we recorded on our previous podcasts that are really aligned with the consumer focus of this show. This episode is a conversation with Kara Golden. She is the CEO of Hint Water, best known for its award-winning unsweetened water. Hint water, for me, was like a core part of my early corporate experience. At Atlassian, we used to always have them in the offices, and I know Steph still is an avid drinker of Hint water. But Kara was really early to the game. This was pre-LaCroix, or when all the sparkling flavored waters were on the market, and her story about bringing the brand to market is really, really interesting. I left the original introduction on this episode that was recorded on December 7th of 2021. And with that said, give it a listen and let me know what you think. Jumping into today's episode today, our guest is Kara Golden. Kara is the CEO and founder of Hint. Hint is best known for its award-winning water, which is the leading unsweetened flavored water. I actually discovered Hint in, what year was that, 2019, 2018, when I first was working in the corporate office in San Francisco. Um, They call Hint like the drink of Silicon Valley, and it's not false. I used to drink probably eight to 10 hints a day because we had all the flavors, the sparkling ones, the regular ones, and it's literally just water. So it's such a great way to drink more water. And before I had Kara on the podcast, I actually was lucky enough to get a case of Hint Water and her new book, Undaunted, which I highly recommend you read. It's a story of her founding Hint Water, but it's also kind of a self-help book with tons of lessons woven in. So it's a great, easy read, and it's just a really incredible book. Highly recommend. You get it. I'll link it in the show notes. But today we dive into Kara's journey, building Hint and really her advice for young entrepreneurs and for young people in the workforce around not being complacent and really thinking about what they want. A big topic of this conversation today was that most people actually don't think about what they want and then they expect just this life and the things they want to fall into their lap. And Kara really offers some Tangible ways to navigate thinking about what you want and really navigate those early career days and how she dealt with competitors and people saying no and telling her her product wouldn't work and companies like Coca Cola coming out with copies of her product. This was such a great conversation. Kara is an incredible woman to learn from, and I know anyone can benefit from listening. So, without further ado, here's my interview with Kara Golden. Hi, Carol. Welcome to Life Snacks. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. I'm great. I'm so excited to have you. I have to ask you the most important question first, which is what is your favorite snack right now? And what was your favorite childhood snack?
1: That's so funny. Um, Gosh, I would have to say my favorite snack. You know, I've always been really into bananas as like crazy as that is, like, that's like my go to when I can't find anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, I just I love bananas. And, and I think, you know, it's funny, because I even think about, I have to have real bananas um, for me. And uh, so definitely that. Um, I don't know, I I would say back way back when probably Fritos were Mm -hmm. like up there. Um, I can't. I can't say that I eat them too much, but, uh, actually Trader Joe's has a pretty good version of those. They do have a good copycat freedom. Yeah. 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 Those are, those are probably my, my guilty pleasure. And, um, yeah, so it's, uh. I, I can't say that I'm a huge snacker uh, as much as um, as it, or I guess I should say I don't call it snacking. I guess it's technically um, snacking, but pe- but something to kind of get me through the day. I really I've used food today as as just energy. Right. It's yeah. And and so for me, it's just not it's not even about calories or, mm-hmm. or like it's just about how, how I feel.
0: Absolutely. And I think that banana is probably going to be a little bit more helpful in how you feel than those Fritos. So that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Exactly. All right, Carol, what did you think you were going to pursue as your career when you graduated from college? And what is it that you currently do today?
1: So I was I. I was a journalism major with a minor in finance. Uh, You mentioned you had read my book recently, so I talked a little bit about that. I always thought that I wanted to um, get into writing. I I thought that the magazine industry was just so cool and and, uh, ended up moving from Arizona, where I grew up, to New York uh, to hopefully get into the magazine industry Uh, and I did get into the magazine industry, um, sort of not a straight uh, shot, not exactly what I wanted to do initially, and sort of took a little bit of turn, but it worked out, uh, and not really went into bigger media, Um, so then I was at CNN, which ended up then moving into tech as well, but I think I always, more than anything, wanted to work at something that I felt like I was not only passionate and interested in, but also that I was learning, Um, which I think is is kind of an interesting sort of perspective where I, I sort of felt when I was graduating, unlike many of my friends, where they were just trying to go get a job. And I just thought, there's a lot of jobs out there, but if I'm not actually interested, Uh, in sort of what I would be doing on a day-to-day basis. I I think in some ways I was mature about, you know, sort of thinking about, it wasn't just about the money. I thought, you know, I wanted to make a decent living so I could support myself, but I also felt like it was something that I needed to be passionate in. And then I think also that even morphed into more so around, around, really educating um, myself and always be learning. And so I think for me, that's, that's been kind of a staple in my career that I've always just wanted to keep expanding on what I'm doing and keep learning and keep staying interested and energized by it. Um, I know that I'm also, I wouldn't have defined it when I was getting out of school, but what I really, really love doing is building, and mm-hmm. I love like you know. I, I would say that the one thing that I'm not great at, or I should say I've never had experience doing it, is like a turnaround situation, like where some where a company is like the underdog, and you're trying to go out and you know make it um, sort of a, a different, you know, expand it and make it to be back on top again, I've never done that before. I think for me, the idea of, of building something from scratch, uh, whether it's a new category as we did in building unsweetened flavored water um, or actually building a company, that's where I, I just love the thinking that the, um, the kind of creativity that's needed, but also the execution that's needed to really grow something from zero to something that's bigger.
0: So you did a lot of learning because you went from tech to the beverage industry. And can you tell us a little bit about that transition and really what the mission behind Hint was for those who haven't tried the water?
1: Yeah, so I started out in the early days of of tech uh, in the 90s when uh, I ended up getting a a role with a little startup that was five guys, not in a garage, but in a (laughs) small office that they had all worked at Apple, they had worked with Steve Jobs. Uh, I did not work with Steve, but I was mesmerized by kind of their thinking of, you know, we're gonna get ready for the next iteration when uh, the speed of the internet will be faster. Um, Because there were, you know, as you can imagine, people connected to the internet through the telephone lines. Like if you were on, um, I mean, it's crazy to think about it now, but. You, you couldn't be on in your house a telephone, or you couldn't have your brother, you know, get on the phone and be on the internet, you'd be disconnected. And so there was this thinking that really Steve was totally thinking about it that when the speed of the internet becomes broadband or becomes, you know, better, then that's when a lot of great things will happen. But in the interim, Put all of the graphics onto this disc and tell consumers to insert their disc into the computer. So, I was kind of I I thought they were way ahead of where most people were. That's what I ended up uh, getting a job doing, running their business development and running their business development for this product. It was called Two Market. That uh, I had no technology experience. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, You know, I truly had my own walls up around me, um, kind of almost convincing people not to hire me to go and do this crazy thing because um, I had no experience in the industry. But what I realized is that, you know, experience and your ability to sort of get up every day and keep figuring out how to make something happen um, is it it is the latter is what's much more important than actually the experience. And sometimes when you don't have the experience, when you don't really know what you're doing, when you don't have a roadmap, that's when you can actually, um, you know, make a lot more progress and sort of ignorance is bliss sort of that more than anything else. But, um, I was responsible for uh, getting all these retailers, all J. Crew and The Gap. And I mean, I loved shopping, and that was all I knew about it. Um, and so, for me, when I went and did that role, I was willing to ask a ton of questions. Uh, and that's kind of how I found success. We ended up Uh, one of our investors was America online. They acquired our company. And then I was uh, part of the acquisition was asked to come and run something called shopping on America online. So I ran that for seven years. And uh, when I left, it was a billion dollars in revenue to America online. And basically, I, it's funny because I loved tech. I didn't even know if I really called what I did tech because I didn't really have to understand kind of the backbone of what I was doing. Like I, I would be able to, you know, sit in a meeting and be humbled by everything that I didn't know and willing to, you know, learn about a lot of different things. So I would sit in the room with engineers. I wouldn't know how they got from point A to point D but I was interested. I was fascinated. I knew that what they did was an important component to what I ultimately wanted um, to get done. And so I think it was, it was, I was at a point in 2001 where I was starting to feel like there were so many roadblocks around technology that really weren't allowing me to sort of do what I wanted to do. And I also had a family. I had uh, two kids at the time, a third one on the way. And I thought, maybe I should go do something else. I wasn't even thinking about like leaving to go to another tech company. I just wanted to take a break and spend some time with my family and kind of think more than anything. I never thought that I would become an entrepreneur. Or I think other people maybe thought that I would go and start my own thing. I mean, again, I'm in Silicon Valley, so I'm surrounded by a lot of people, but I didn't have this idea for like a tech idea. But when I was looking at how I was enabling my children to be as healthy as possible, that's when I started coming up with these ideas for, um, you know, making sure that they had the right baby food, they had all of the right things that they needed. And then there was some crossover one day when I started to think about how I really wasn't as authentic as, um, as, you know, maybe I, I was seeming to be around, you know, making sure that all of their food was great, but here I was putting crap into my body, you know, and, and it was at that moment when I thought, well, here I am drinking my diet soda, diet Coke in particular, and it's really not that great for me. Probably there's a lot of ingredients in here that I don't understand. And so I, I really started thinking if I could make those changes, maybe I could even clear up some of my own health issues. Um, And I never really thought that diet sweeteners were bad for me. I don't know, like 17 years ago, nobody was even thinking that there was any question about yeah. diet, sweetness. that was healthy,
0: like diet. You were like making the healthier choice.
1: Okay. And I think maybe I, I sort of laugh at it now because maybe it was, I was also kind of going through this time where I felt like it, where it, I was smart and I was taking a break, but I would think about just that, that here I am drinking diet, thinking that it's better for me. And it, it might not be. Mm-hmm. And so I started to do some tests on myself and started to eliminate diet sweeteners from my life. And, you know, I'll tell you, friends of mine, I would share when they would ask me, like, how did you lose all this weight? How did you, um, you know, clear up your acne on your skin? I really started to talk about the things that I was putting in my body that for years I didn't question but when I started to actually make the shift away, and I didn't really know why they were working, but it worked. Mm-hmm. That's when my curiosity, my um, you know, my sort of ability to kind of research things, my ability to kind of you know dig deeper to try and figure those things out, was really kind of cropping up, really organically. And and so in order to find something to drink. Now that I wasn't drinking my Diet Coke anymore, I started slicing up fruit and throwing it in water um, because I never really liked the taste of water. I just, I never drank it. Uh, I you know knew I should drink it in order to stay hydrated, but I never did. So it was really kind of a tool for me to put fruit in it, but I didn't want preservatives. I didn't want the sweeteners in it. And then I thought it was such a hassle to actually do what I was doing. Um, I had to go get fruit. It would go bad after a day. And so I went to my local Whole Foods and saw that it was not this product I developed in my kitchen wasn't on the shelf. And I thought, well, maybe I could just get it on the shelf and see what would happen. And, you know, fast forward, the company that I founded is is 17 years, almost 17 years later. It's, uh, you know, the largest privately held non-alcoholic beverage in the country, in the U S that doesn't have a relationship with any of the soda companies. So pretty powerful.
0: Yeah. I know. I first discovered hint and you talk about this in your book. It was literally the drink of Silicon Valley. And that was my first, like in the office, I drank like nine, 10 hints a day. And I think so many people that worked in the Valley had that experience, which is just so cool. And your brand is known for that story you just told, right? People really connect it to your mission behind the brand with, which is helping people drink water and move away from the diet sodas and artificial sweeteners. I want to ask you, do you think that you have to have your brand mission identified before you start out or how has that mission really evolved as the brands evolved? Yeah. I mean, I think that today I I didn't even call the
1: hint a a mission founded company. Mm -hmm. I I knew that there was a why, because in order for me to invest my time and invest my, you know, frankly, my money um, to actually getting it off the ground, I really felt like there had to be a why. And there really was this mission there that, you know, it wasn't until a few years later after founding it that people were like, this, this drink has purpose. I mean, this changes things it disrupts things. I mean, it was crazy thinking back on it because probably two months after launching the drink, I started to realize that it was really hard to get shelf space in the supermarkets. And primarily because there was nobody else in our category, so um, anybody who's—I had never really thought about uh, the the concept of launching. I just wanted to launch a new company um, once I had sort of gotten my you know nerve up to actually go and launch this. But I never really had thought about I want to go launch a new category. And I, frankly, I think it's really rare that people think about that when they're starting a company. And but you know the key differentiator is if you're the only one. In the cat in in your in your industry, doing what you're doing, which was in our case unsweetened flavored water, um, the challenge is when you go to buyers at you know store shelves, or trying to get on store shelves. The key thing that they would say to me is like, who else is in this category? And I'd say, no one. I mean, that's what's so great about it. And yet, the hard thing is, is that when you're the only one. They don't want to give you the space because they're not sure whether or not it's going to be big enough. And so that and this is really true in any category. When you come up with something, you know, call it innovation, but unless it actually has a few competitors that it, it will take longer to build it. Um, you know you may not be able to actually get shelf space if you're relying on on stores to actually stock your products so the consumers can buy it. I think in many ways d2c has changed that for so many brands um, but I think that going back to your original question around the mission, I think that one of the ways that we were able to get people to understand what we were doing so that we could, organically grow our category was really to tell the story of the why and what was the mission and what was the purpose. And that has, you know, really helped people to understand why they would purchase the product and and consume it and, uh, and invest in it and all of those things.
0: Yeah, and you talk about in your book how there was no one in the space in the beginning, right? And then there was people in, with really big names at these big beverage companies that popped up and tried to compete. And I thought it was so interesting because I had never thought about it this way. But you were like, at first, we were kind of worried about these competitors. But then we just realized they helped us grow out the, the category. Totally. And I'd love to hear how you, how you navigated having competitors and copies and things that came up in the industry and how someone that's starting a business on their own should look at competitors when they are copying or replicating their products. Yeah. I mean,
1: I think that the key thing is, is like, you know, when it first was happening, it was, it was hard, right? You think, oh my God, these people who are the giants are coming in and they're going to you know, kill me tomorrow and and overtake it. And in many cases, what we saw was that they would come in and they would actually want to take a chess piece off the table in stores. And that's the challenge, especially in the beverage industry and the CPG industry as well, where, you know, your relationships with the buyers need to be good. But then in addition to that, Um, you know, you've, you've got these grandfathered in businesses that have been in there for a long time. So in many cases, they're like category captains where, um, they will actually have a relationship where they're going to pay a retailer, lots of money, millions of dollars. So they have a lot more decisions about what is actually going on the shelf. They'll have more space than anybody else on the shelf. And so that's what was happening to us. Like as we were continuing to grow when we were young, what we were seeing was that, you know, a lot of these big guys knew that we were around and so they were starting to come in, we were excited that we were getting traction, but then they were coming in and disrupting us by basically saying, well, we're going to do our version of unsweetened flavored water and you don't need hint. And so. I was devastated, right? And I think like the only way that you can actually, uh, you know, really help yourself when those kind of situations happen uh, is something that I share with entrepreneurs in every industry. It's like always diversify, right? Even when you go and get that, you know, the greatest thing that ever happened, um, distribution out there, always know that if it goes away tomorrow, that you have options, right? And so that was kind of, you know, hit number one for me, where I was really faced with, oh my gosh, we're getting discontinued from this major retailer now. What do I do? But um, what happened six months later was that that retailer then came back to us and said, you know, that big guy who had come in. Um, they, they don't want to do the category anymore. And so we still have customers that really want the unsweetened flavored water. And so we'd love to bring you guys back in. And we had actually put aside more space than when you left six months ago. And so you not only um, are getting your space back, but you're gaining space totally the opposite of what I thought would, you know, potentially happen. So Uh, so definitely something that I think, you know, whether you're in the snacks industry or you're in the beverage industry, or frankly, any other industry, it's like things don't just because you get kicked out of someplace, um, just because, uh, you feel like a, a big retailer is, is, um, you know, removing you because maybe a large, uh, CPG company is coming in and taking over your space. That doesn't mean that you can't figure out a way back in there or um, more than anything, what I saw was that they expanded the brand. Yes, they did decide not to do it. But during that time, during that six month time, what happened was that other companies were starting to do innovation. So there was a lot more, um, there were a lot more players and especially when the big guy went out, we were the largest. In fact, Hint is still the largest in the unsweetened flavored water category. We created the category and we, and, and we still are the largest. So it doesn't, it's sort of counter to what I ever thought could happen. I guess, you know, again, being an entrepreneur, um, I had never really, I was really focused on just starting a business. And, but again, Once competition comes in, it actually can be a good thing.
0: It's interesting because some of this competition were people that had given you or they worked for companies of people that had given you advice in the early days. And I want to talk about how to navigate taking people's advice in general when it comes to your ideas, your careers, all of it, especially as a young woman early in my career, you know. A lot of us face different advice. Everyone thinks you should have a different path. You should start something you shouldn't. How did you take in all the advice you received, but also like not let those negative advice where they said no one wants unsweetened water. How did you not take that to heart and really listen to yourself and the belief you had in your company? Yeah, I think for me, having a connection with customers
1: early on and always you know today we call it engagement right yeah. and i think you can get engagement by uh yeah. responding to customers whether it's on a you know customer service line or um you know literally like being the customer service line in the beginning and kind of hearing what consumers would would ask i mean believe it or not many times on those customer service calls. and again, they can come calls or emails or whatever. They're not just asking about an order and you know why it hasn't been received or that that there's a problem. There's a lot of those calls that come in where people are actually sharing their story of how, you know, they love the product, et cetera. Um, but and then that expanded, I think, over into social and and frankly, why, I'm, I'm uh, so bullish on, on being, on having a social platform too, where you can engage with consumers, because I think so often that's where a lot of large companies kind of lose their way because maybe they're a hundred year old company. Nobody knows who the founder is anymore. Um, and you know, they just don't really have any way to actually have good engagement, um, with the consumer. And I think that, engagement creates trust. Engagement creates um, feedback, right? And so when you have those days where you've got doubters or hard challenges or whatever it is, you, you think back on those emails, on those conversations that you had with people that are telling you how your brand has help them it's not just about that they love the product and i think this goes back to you know your comment about mission-based companies too when you do a mission-based company that has meaning and purpose not just to you but to others it's a powerful thing i i tweeted about this actually a few weeks ago i have tons of um, merchandise that says hint on it my luggage my jackets you know and. And my mask and I was going through an airport in New Orleans and I had like four people come up to me while I was going through the airport to talk to me about their experience with the brand. That's like a powerful thing. I mean, how many brands have you touched in your lifetime, right? And be able to have somebody take their time to walk up to me to talk about their own experience with the Hint brand uh, is is such a powerful thing. And again, the mission, it started with me just trying to find a drink that actually was cleaner, that didn't have the sweeteners in it. But I feel like so many of the stories that I hear from people all kind of relay into, into that as well. But people relying on the strength to help them change their health in some way, whether it's maintain their, um, their insulin levels and, and control their type two diabetes, or people who have been cancer patients, who the only way that they got through the chemotherapy treatments was to drink a product like Hint. Really powerful stuff that, again, you know, to think that it was just about me trying to get to, to like water yeah, uh, It means something else to other people and that brand continues to expand.
0: So in your book, you talk about this moment that I think a lot of our listeners could relate to or could hope to relate to. And it's when you show up at Fortune magazine and you ask for a job. And you also talk about showing up at Whole Foods in your book asking to put water on the shelves. And I have to ask you, were you always this confident in your ability to ask for the things you want? I think, especially as women, we struggle to ask for the raise, to ask for the promotion. Like what advice do you have around confidence for young women?
1: You know, it's a, it's a great question. I think being the last of five, I, I learned early on that if I didn't ask, I wouldn't get right. And so it was, uh, it was definitely, you know everything from my mom taking me to gymnastics if i didn't ask her if she could take she could give me a ride it wasn't going to happen right like it and so i think that parlayed into the rest of my life that i just realized that if i that i had to speak up i had to tell people what i wanted to do and if i didn't then i couldn't complain and i think that that's something that i share with you know, not just women, but all people in general. It's just that, again, it may not go your way, uh, You, but if you don't actually tell people what you want and you go along with what they want to do, then don't complain about it, right? You have to actually use your creativity, um, use your persuasion um, in many ways to be able to say, here's what I really want to do. And you'd be surprised at how often people don't do that to your point um, and you be the differentiator in the world. Um, and and I think, you know, again, it's not always going to work out and you have to be able to um, to really share what what you want. I think so often people don't even know what they want, though. They don't think about what they want either. And they expect that, you know, those things will come to them.
0: Yeah, and, like fall on their lap.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's interesting. It's something I've thought a lot about too that you don't rely on other people to actually, you know, make your life better, mm-hmm. right? right? And yeah. maybe they should give you that promotion that, you know, you so well deserved. But, you know, if, if maybe they're thinking about 10 other things, 10 other people, and unless you actually... Speak up and actually tell people. And again, I don't think it has to be something that you have to get angry about either. You just are—you're just telling people what you want. And you know, something else I always tell people too is, with telling people what you want, I—I uh, I think you're putting stakes in the ground too. You start to think about it, but it's better than being eaten alive. But eaten up. By, you know, this anger or this feeling that you're getting ripped off in some way or something's not happening for you. I think that, you know, that with putting stakes in the ground comes this confidence and comes this feeling of, well, if this isn't going to happen, if I'm not going to get that raise, um, if I'm not going to get that ride to gymnastics, whatever it is, then you think, well, what's plan B, you know, what's. What else could happen? And I think that that's something that I think people really need to think about as well.
0: I love this point in your book that you talk about when you're talking about your employees, once they feel complacent in a role, or even just like, you're like, once they get good at a role, it's time for them to move on to the next role, because you don't want people to just be complacent and go to work and do the job and stop continuing to innovate. And I think that was such a good point for a lot of people that are young in their career that maybe got that first job or second job. And they're like, well, it it pays well, and I can kind of do it well. But I don't really like it. I think so many people have those experiences in the early days of their career. And what advice would you offer them around looking for the things that they are interested in or understanding how to make a pivot?
1: Yeah, well, I think that with experience, uh, you know, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're mastering anything, but you're just seeing a lot more. Take those different chapters in you know, your book of life and figure out what you liked about those things, what you didn't like about those things, what, what you're curious about too. And I think like the biggest challenge is actually finding, figuring out what you are really interested in doing, what motivates you every single day. I always found that I happen to surround myself with people, my closest, um, you know, people that I hang out with don't do what I do. And and it's, it's so interesting to me and I'm interested in having, you know, conversations with them. I have a ton of friends that are lawyers, for example, I'm not a lawyer, but I'm really intrigued by it. I'm interested in it. It doesn't mean that I'd want to do it every single day. But again, like when you, when you surround yourself already in your life with people who are doing different things and things that you're curious about, you start to think about, well, maybe there's something that I don't know how to do that I'm really curious about. And then you try and figure out how to find those things. And that could be in your company, that could be outside of your company. But again, if you only have a certain amount of time, right, as we all do, do you want to be known for doing those things and not being able to try certain things? And I think that holds true in your business life and in your personal life. And you start to really get a little selfish about it and try to figure out, you know, what is it that I'm curious about that? I don't know how to do. I don't even know what it's called. Right. Yeah. But you, There's so
0: many jobs out there. You might not even know exist because you I mean, haven't I mean, looked yeah, into like, it.
1: Just as an example. I mean, probably one of, you know, the hottest jobs today is like supply chain. I mean, yeah. and that used to be, I don't know. It just doesn't sound like a very, you know, sexy, exciting job. And that today is very complicated, right? And I was just speaking with somebody, um, a CEO of a company, and a lot of her manufacturing is done in Europe. Well, you know, this whole pandemic has changed the world about figuring out, like, how do you manage risk? How do you you know, figure out if there's a pandemic in another country, but not in yours, where you've got shutdowns, how does it affect your business? Like there's, there's just, you know, it's really interesting. And, and I think, again, it doesn't mean that it's, uh, I think roles change, roles get created too. And, and I think that you just have to figure out exactly, um, you know, what those things are. Maybe also, maybe you're doing a role in one industry, and then you take that role, you feel like you've kind of maxed out of your company, or maybe you're not really interested in the other companies that sort of are, you know, doing this in your industry. Maybe you take what you know in your industry and you take that into another industry, right? Or, you know, that's exactly what's needed. I mean, that's how a lot of innovation comes, when people take their experience from one industry and bring it into another industry to make it better. and. So I think it's it's being creative, being um, you know, being willing to to learn from people and talk to people. I talked about this before. I mean, I think social media today, especially like on LinkedIn, learning about you know, you have so many leaders that are on that are actually sharing um, you know their own experience about what they know, and there's lots of different you know podcasts that are on. With, are getting interviewed as well so i think that that's a great place to learn too about like how does this after you listen after you you know read from what somebody talks about then try and figure out like how that could apply to your life and you know journal about it or start making notes about oh that's really interesting and try and just learn as much as you can because you just never know where that's going to lead you
0: I love the two points you offered. One, being interested. I think that is advice that's come up on this podcast a ton, just like being interested in other people, talking to people, understanding what it is they do. You can learn so much from it. And then also what you said at the beginning, like most people don't know what they're actually want or what they're looking for. And if you don't take the time to journal and think about it, how are you ever going to figure it out? Cause it usually doesn't fall in your lap. Right.
1: Totally. And I think that that's so key. And somewhere along the way, I've thought a lot about this. Somewhere along the way, to, I feel like, you know, we go to school and, you know, we're sort of forced at some point, especially when we're asked to do a major where we're deciding like the, the path. And we sort of get stuck there because you want to go and jump into an industry and take a job and And then you start to think, well, I've got experience there, so it's easy for you to go in one direction. But easy doesn't necessarily mean where you're supposed to be, right? It might, but it's also, you know, start to look around at, at, you know, different ways. Because, again, even, you know, my first job, you talked about Fortune magazine. I wanted to work at Fortune. They weren't going to hire me. But inside the building, there was Time magazine. And uh, I had never thought about working at Time Magazine, but again, it was a business publication. It was, um, you know, definitely uh, not writing about finance necessarily and, and focused on that, but it was, it was close, right? And so that allowed me to go and, you know, move on to learn about, you know, television and some of the other stuff that I did too. So I think just just leaving yourself a little bit open, like make decisions based on, um, you know, what you want to do today and what you think you're going to go do. No longer is it about, you know, having a job and being there forever either. I think instead just go in and figure out, um, not only how long, you know, you're interested in the company, but also, Like, are you maxing out on sort of what you can give to a company, too? I mean, that's sort of a whole other thinking, too, that I always believed was so important. You know, a hint is that when people are coming in and they're giving a few years and they decide to go, I mean, something Ted Turner said to me at CNN many, many years ago was that when people say that they're leaving, um, let them leave. Right? Like that decision has been going on for a long time in their head. And, you know, the best you can do is ask them to um to kind of leave with their head held high, um, you know, with the same excitement that they had going into a job. Um, but I think that, you know, more than anything, being thankful and grateful for somebody share like doing great work for you for a few years. It's just let it like let it go, right? Let it where it's meant to be, and let them continue to shine and and uh, and do other things. Because I think that that's a, such an important point.
0: That's such a beautiful way of putting someone leaving a company that I've never heard it put that way. I want to ask you my final question, and it is: What advice would you give to the Kara that had just graduated from college?
1: I think at look at every step along the way as uh, as as really a step towards bigger and better things and what did you learn along the way? Uh, be able to look back on on where you were when you came to that step and maybe how much you feared, how much you um, how much you weren't sure whether or not you're going to be able to achieve and you did all of those things, I think are so, so critical and that it's a long journey, right? And you have to don't be in a race, um, you know, make the right decisions along the way, uh, practice kindness, surround yourself by kindness as well. And, uh, and I think more than anything, when you do that, that's what That's what success is at, at the end. People who are, you know, not as, not as happy, not as fulfilled are really the people that are not practicing those moments where uh, of appreciation of gratitude, of kindness.
0: That's beautiful advice. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. Where can our listeners connect with you and purchase Hint Water?
1: Yeah, definitely. Kara uh, Golden uh, with an I all over social. And uh, also, uh, Hint is on drinkhint.com or on Amazon and, uh, and definitely available in, in stores all over the US as well. So, uh, but thank you so much. And hopefully, You'll also get a chance to pick up a copy of my book, *Undaunted: Overcoming Doubts and Doubters*. It's really the journey of, of building hints and some of the stuff that we talked about today. But hopefully, you'll get a chance to read it and then let me know what you think. Thanks for listening. Connect with us on our socials at Allowlist VIP. And if you've made
0: it this far, you probably enjoyed the conversation. Or you fell asleep. <laughs> So if you wouldn't mind, take one minute to rate and review the show wherever you're listening.